with five loaves and two fish, and now he feeds the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fish. So, that a point, an important point to add to that. Um, let me say also, um, I've appreciated people who have signed up for our handing out of Bibles. When we on Monday through Friday list a time of two hours that you can sign in, uh, if you say, I would like to help, I want to do this, uh, there's no other time I could do it there, um, but, but, but then, but Monday through Friday, if you have a time when you can do it, you can do it that is not provided on there, we will try to accommodate you and provide help for you. So I just want to assure you of that. Also, Craig has been working on something that we're intending to put in every Bible that we hand out uh, and try to invite people to. We want to have something to invite them to. Uh, and I know we have things inviting them to the services. And what we're planning to do, and, we, and we've talked about this with the elders for some time, that on January 1st, which will be uh, the first Sunday of next year, on January 1st, in this service time at 5, the sermon is going to be uh, an overview of the biblical story. And we're hoping that that will interest some of these people who get a Bible, who say, I know the Bible is important, but I really don't know where to begin. And so the sermon will emphasize the, what God has done throughout history, stressing God's goodness, stressing our sin and rebellion, and stressing God's refusal to give up on man. Now, another reason to mention that is not just for handing out the Bibles, but we want also, if you can think of other people in your life that, that say, I, listen, I, I want to know about the Bible. Where do you start? It's impossible to give an overview of the Bible in 40 minutes, but at least they can see the main message of what it's about. So we're encouraging you to invite visitors to that as well, whether they have a Bible already or not. But with those words, let us pray once again. O oh Lord, our Lord, we pray that you bless our efforts to speak your word, to teach your word, to excite the interest and take advantage of the interest that others may have. Help us to get the word to the people and to get the people to the word. Help us to do that. Tonight, as we study, may our eyes be enlightened. May I speak truthfully and wisely. May I speak your message and not mine. In Jesus we pray. Amen. The New Testament 
is not a church manual in the sense that it is given just for instructions in our assembly. It is not. It directs us across the whole of life. And yet at the same time that the Bible is not a church manual, Paul said he wrote by the authority of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. And he wrote the same things to churches. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 17, he wrote the same thing to churches, instructing them what to do. Either we let the Bible be our guide in what we do collectively, or we're, we're off the grid. We, we just do anything that we want. But the Bible is adequate to guide all God's people for all time. The last time that I spoke with you on Sunday evening, we talked about these verses as verses in the New Testament that focus on seeing what could be proved from them, what couldn't be proved from them. And there are four others. Let's read Hebrews 2.12 and James 5.13. Let's read these verses and we will come back and focus more time on Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3 and verse 16. Now in Hebrews 2 verse 12, this is a quotation from Psalm 22 verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Now, it is interesting that this passage, the speaker, is actually viewed as Christ. Look at verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one. For which reason he, Christ, the one who sanctified, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call them brethren. Then it defends this statement that Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren by speaking of him as the speaker of Psalm 22, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. Christ here is singing and proclaiming us as his brethren. Actually, this passage speaks of Christ singing in this context. In James 5 and verse 13. James 5 verse 13. The Bible asks, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing psalms. Now, the idea that you pray during suffering and you sing praises when cheerful, it's, it's, it's not mutually exclusive. You see people praying in the psalms in times 
of rejoicing. You see people singing praises in dark times in their lives, in the Psalms as well. But with every circumstance in life, there is an appropriate response to God. In the midst of our suffering, we can turn to Him and look to Him in prayer, begging His help and His strength. In the midst of our blessings, our cheerfulness, our blessings are not self-generated. Our blessings are a reason for praising and thanking God. Is anyone among you suffering that he must pray? Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. More could be said about those passages uh, in context of those the study of those books. But let's look at Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. In Ephesians 5, Paul gives various instruction about how we are to live our lives avoiding sin and surrendering ourselves to him. Let me just start with verse 19 or verse 18 and read through verse 21. Do not get drunk with one another, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. More to be said in a moment. Let's read Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let me start with verse 15 and read through verse 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Okay, looking at these passages, both of these passages speak of singing, of speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, or teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, spiritual songs. I don't know that one another activity always demands uh, the whole assembly be involved. For example, in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, 
just as God in Christ has forgiven you, that is certainly something that goes beyond the assembly. But yet the assembly is a place where we are with one another. And even from the time that Jesus ate the Lord's Supper with the disciples, they would sing to one another in those kinds of circumstances. And so while I don't know that this is exclusive to the assembly, certainly what we are doing here would be included in that type of passage. Now, what can you say about seeing on the basis of these passages? What can we say? First of all, the Bible tells us the Godward focus of our seeing. In Ephesians 5 and verse 19, we are to sing and make melody with our hearts to the Lord. In Colossians 3.16, the Bible says we're singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. It's a very real sense in which our worship has an audience of one. And that is God. And our deepest desire in worship and in the words of our songs is that they be songs to Him, that praise Him, that thank Him, that exalt Him. We are making melody to the Lord. We are singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. God is always the focus. If God is not pleased, it matters not who else is pleased. Yet the text also tells us that in our singing together, while we praise God and focus first and foremost to Him, we are also speaking to one another. We're speaking to one another as Ephesians 5 and verse 19 says. Colossians 3 verse 16 tells us we are teaching and admonishing one another. We are encouraging each other in a certain area of activity when we sing together. We are encouraged each other to be strong and courageous, for example. We are encouraging each other to follow in His will. So we sing to the Lord. We sing to one another. Our singing is a demonstration that we are filled with God's Spirit. By the way, look back at Ephesians 5 again. I want us to look at this closely. Look at both of these passages. I want you to see how in these passages, particularly in Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 20, notice how this language is the language of the Trinity. In verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
to God, even the Father. The Father is mentioned in verse 20. The Lord Jesus in verse 20. The Lord in verse 19. The Spirit in verse 18. It is striking when you start carefully examining, particularly Paul's writing, and see how the New Testament does this time after time after time. In the same breath, the Father, Son, and Spirit are woven together as it is the language of the Trinity. If we want to show we're filled with God's Spirit, the way to do it is to speak to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It shows that we're filled with His Spirit. It also expresses the fact that the Word of Christ is dwelling within us. Our singing is an overflow of the fact the Word of Christ dwells richly within us. Colossians 3 and verse 16. It's that that motivates our singing. And the text emphasizes that this is with thankfulness to God. Look at Colossians 3 in particular. Notice how Colossians 3 verses 15 through 17 will each mention being thankful. In verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which it leads you are called to one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. All throughout time, God's people have expressed praise and thanks in song. Always. One song that particularly fascinates me in the Old Testament, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. In the days of David, when they moved the ark to Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34, they sang that song. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. When Solomon's temple was completed and the Ark of the Covenant was moved in the temple and the fire from the Lord came down and consumed the sacrifices on the altar, the people fell on their faces and they said, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His loving kindness is everlasting. 2 Chronicles 3, 2 Chronicles 5, 11 through 15, 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. Jehoshaphat's Armies were outmanned by the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites. And when they were outmanned, they came together at the temple and they prayed to God. And God said, you go to the battlefield and you start singing and I will give you victory. And God gave them victory even though they didn't fire a shot. And they sang 
Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Second Chronicles 20, verse 21. And when the foundation of the second temple was laid in Ezra 3, they sang the same song. Over 500 years, they expressed their gratitude to God by song. And we do the same. Singing is an opportunity for us to express our thankfulness, our gratitude for all his blessings. So here are some things the text tells us that is done via our singing. There were some that argued that Ephesians 5.19 would demand an instrument or include, maybe is the way most would word it, an instrument. I want to express this as briefly, as clearly as I can while also pointing you to some sources that will explain it more clearly. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.19 that we are to speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs. Now that particular word, psalms, is a noun. It is used seven times in the New Testament. The first four of those instances, the two from Luke and the two from Acts, these passages deal with the book of Psalms. The other three, beginning with 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, deal with the singing Psalms. But this word... Here used as a noun in the phrase making melody. This phrase making melody is a participle form from the verb solo, which is used five times in the New Testament. Now, you will see some that will say this word originally had the idea of to pluck, to pick and that therefore this word inherently includes the instrument. Is that a valid argument? I will state and again I beg you to listen closely and if I am not expressing myself clearly then feel free to ask a question afterwards. There are times that obviously in the Old Testament this verb solo does have the idea 
of playing the instrument. And let me illustrate. Psalm 33, verse 2. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew for the most part. There are exceptions to that, brief exceptions. But the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. It was translated into Greek about 200 years before Christ in the Septuagint. And there are some times where the Greek translation used this term and it carried with it the idea of playing an instrument. For example, in Psalm 33 verse 2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Now in the Greek translation, the word translated sing praises in the Greek was rendered with that same verb used in Ephesians 5 and verse 19 and translated making melody. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Each of these verses on the board use the same kind of construction. Psalm 71 verse 22 for example I will praise you with the harp even your truth O my God to you I will sing praises there's our term I will sing praises with the lyre O holy one of Israel now I encourage you look up these passages of scripture and what you will find in these passages is they have a verb, a verb form of solo, a Greek preposition in that means with or by, among other things, but they have a form of a verb, a Greek preposition, then the specific name of the instrument and the Lord is object. Now I hope you've struggled with me through all this. Let's make this very clear. Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 use a very similar construction. Ephesians 5.19 has the verb form of solo. It says singing and making melody. Colossians 3.16 simply says singing. Doesn't have this word for making melody. In both cases, Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.19, name the Lord as the object of praise. But I would say that these texts also specify the instrument. They specify the instrument with which we praise God. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. You have the form 
of Solo, you have the Lord as the object and the instrument is the heart. In Colossians 3.16, Colossians 3.16, the Bible tells us that we are singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. does not have a form of the verb solo. It has the Greek preposition in. It has God as the object. And it has the heart as the instrument. Now, I may not have explained that well at all. If you really wrestle with this subject, if you say, listen, I, I, I want to just do what the Bible says and believe what the Bible says, but I think instrument may be included in that. Please tell me. And I'll tell you what I'll do for you. A book that explains this in under 100 pages, but very adeptly, is a book by Everett Ferguson, Acapella, Acapella Music in the Public Worship of the Church. Ferguson is now in his early 90s. He was one of the most renowned scholars of church history in his time. He explains these points very well in his book. If you want that book and this subject is troubling you, tell me and I'll get it for you. He will explain it better than I can. Now, Let me break this say this. I do not know when I was raised going to service. I do not, do not know if I could have articulated the deity of Christ. know that I don't have memories of trying to teach that to someone uh, when I was very young. I remember arguing things at school with other people religiously, but, but I don't know if I could have articulated that. I know I could have articulated this point. I could have articulated this point of instrumental music. And one of the reasons I know I can is because I can remember quite vividly after I was baptized in the seventh grade, the next day having a substitute teacher in math. Remember that? Brad, I think it was your mom. Um, had a substitute teacher in math, and she said, if we don't cause too much trouble, we can talk among ourselves. And I start talking to a friend of mine, trying to convince him that the instrument 
was wrong. Sitting beside me was another person in the class who attended another church in the area. And I want to tell you, I made such a persuasive argument that, that he was going home and talking to his mom that day and his mom called my dad and there's a whole bunch of things erupted. But eventually, eventually, he was baptized. And I'm in touch with him to some degree to this day. The very fact that I was so able to articulate that so well, so young, after a decade or so, started to trouble me. Why was I able to articulate that so well? And not other things. And sometimes, because of situations and brethren in you that I felt like might overemphasize that to the exclusion of sometimes more fundamental issues, I began to question, am I sure that this position, the position that early Christians just signed without the instrument, am I sure that's right? Do I really have proof of that? And let me tell you a question that I kept asking myself. I kept asking myself the question on top of this. If this is so clear, why have others not seen it? Why have others not seen it? And you know what I found when I started investigating that subject? something that was just observed by some members of the Church of Christ in the South in the late 1900s. That this has been something that has been observed by people for a long time. Now, Paul Westermeyer was a, is a, as an ordained Lutheran preacher. Robert Weber has passed away, but he founded a um, school in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, that was devoted to worship, that now meets in the headquarters uh, of the, the school's campus is a Baptist church in the area. What I'm trying to stress to you is these are not people with the same religious background. And they made this statement. Our current situation in which there is a widespread and often unquestioning acceptance of instruments in worship is a minority position in church history. That's not what most people have believed. You know, I, I wonder if this is so clear. Why haven't others seen it? What I feel about this is all kinds of other people have seen it. All kinds. 
lots of other people had argued the same thing. And people from a much different religious background. I just discovered a website in the last couple of days called Purely Presbyterian where the people who run this website are seeking to emphasize that it is vocal music and not instrumental music that is what the Bible teaches for us to use in worship. Again, those are people that I might disagree with on other things. I don't know what they believe on other things. But they have understood the same thing. And they provide all kinds of quotation. For example, Thomas Aquinas from 1225 to 1274 said, Our church does not use musical instruments as harps and psalteries to praise God, lest we sing to Judaize. The Geneva Bible, which was a pre-King James translation in 1599, wrote these comments alongside of Psalm 50, exhorting people only to rejoice in praising God. He makes mention of instruments which God's commandments appointed in the Old Testament, but under Christ their use is abolished. It also has quotes from Adam Clark, quotes from the Catholic Encyclopedia of 1907. I mentioned ago a moment, acapella music in the public worship of the church. Now somebody asked you to sing acapella. You know what that means, don't you? It means to sing without an instrument. Do you know what the technical definition of acapella is? According to the manner of the church. The very name bears testimony. To the fact that the church was noted for using vocal and not instrumental music. The very name a cappella calls attention to that. In Ferguson's book, I told you he was a church historian, particularly an early church historian. And he gives all kinds of early church statements where those writers emphasize that they sing in worship. And sometimes, specifically, that we do not use the instrument. And I recognize, I recognize that some may be suspicious when we simply say it's not mentioned in the text. 
Is that really a big deal? You know, you do find instruments, even from Genesis 4, with those in Cain's line who perfected how to use certain types of instruments in those passages. You see it from a very early date. You unquestionably see people worshiping with instruments in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles 29, verses 25 through 28, Hezekiah installed the worship of David according to the command of the Lord. You clearly find that. But it's not there in the New Testament. It's In Hebrews 7, when the Bible talks about Melchizedek, it finds significance in every detail about Melchizedek. Melchizedek's name, Melech, means king. Zedek means righteousness. His name, by interpretation or translation, is king of righteousness. And he was king of peace. King of Salem, very similar to the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. It is significant what his name is, it is significant where he's king, it is significant that Abraham paid him a tithe, it is significant that he paid, that he blessed Abraham, and it is significant that Melchizedek appears on the scene and there is no mention of his father and there's none of his mother, there's none of his death, there's none of his birth. Hebrews 7 makes a point of all of that and Hebrews 7 talks about the fact that it doesn't mention his death his birth, doesn't mention his death, doesn't mention his mother and father. Obviously, in that case, that silence was purposeful. Not accidental. the herald that was bringing the news. I know I could only see what I was giving to say. I could only speak what I was commissioned to speak. And to do any less would make me an unfaithful messenger. Shouldn't we just speak what God has to speak? I'll tell you what the big issue is here. The big issue is a lot more than any one subject 
It is a lot more than whether instruments are used in a survey. The the, the issue is, are we just going to do what we know pleases Him? Or are we going to venture off on our own and assume something pleases Him? Ultimately, that is the issue. Throughout history, there have been a lot of people who simply tried to go back to the Bible, who made all kinds of mistakes and ways they did it. But the plea to simply go back to the Bible and simply read the original documents, to read the inspired documents, adding no more to them and taking nothing from them. Even if we had no verse of Scripture that says not to add to or take from, that is inherent in the fact that we believe this is God's message and nothing else compares. Nothing else compares. What does that mean about the eternal well-being of sincere people who do that? Do you realize our answer to that question means absolutely nothing? Nothing? It's not as if God in heaven is sitting and waiting to listen to what pronouncement I'm going to make on that. God will be the judge. What we have to do is we just have to surrender to Him and say we're going to walk in His way and we're going to do what's pleasing to Him. And we're going to seek to plead to others, to appeal to others, to just read the Bible and follow the Bible. Do what it says, whether individually or collectively. Frankly, I don't know any other way. I'm at a loss. I hope I have said things well and worded them as I intended to. In light of this morning, that may not be true. But I hope I have. May God help us all to be content with putting our heart and soul and mind and strength 
in seeking him, seeking his message, and doing what he says, whether it makes sense to us or not. If you need to follow Jesus, if you need to become his disciple, believing Jesus died and rose again and be baptized in water for the mission of sins, we advise you to come as we stand. I stand to praise you, but I fall on my knees. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. So Tim Smith's going to lead us in a prayer here in just a second. I have three quick announcements to share with you. Uh, the first is regarding uh, Sarah Whitmore and her children, Colin and Caitlin. Uh, a number of you have noticed that Sarah has not been with us for a few weeks. And uh, she communicated uh, about a month ago now that it was her intention to uh, begin worshiping with the church in Crawfordsville. Uh, she shared that up until just a, a, few we, a few months ago, she had all of her life worshipped surrounded by family members and not just her immediate family. And circumstances uh, caused her to, to uh, look at Avon and come and start worshipping with us earlier this year. And uh, while she was visiting in Crawfordsville, visiting uh, family members who worship there, including uh, the man who preaches there, she was, uh, I guess I say, reminded of how important that was to her. And uh, so her plans are to worship with the, the brethren in Crawfordsville. And uh, we, we hate to see her not be a part of us, but we wish her well and her family uh, as they uh, take up that, that uh, pursuit. Secondly, um, 
I want to uh, recognize that a week from tonight, December 18th, at this evening service, we plan to have a, a shortened talk and to follow that up with what we will simply call a congregational update meeting where we will touch on a number of topics that we believe will be of interest uh, to you. So that'll be the plan for next Sunday night, uh, December the 18th. And then lastly, it was communicated that uh, with Ryan McCourt's uh, uh, problems with his ankle and the reinfection and the surgery and his being put up that uh, we needed to postpone the uh, study that we had planned on church finances and we are looking forward to hopefully picking that up in the first of the year Uh, and so we will communicate more as that becomes more clear but uh, don't expect that to take place yet this month but hopefully early in January of next year and we will uh, republish a planned schedule for those studies so thank you Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we could be here today, this evening, uh, to be here together to worship you and learn about you and be in your presence, uh, to be an encouragement to one another. As we leave here and go into our week, uh, looking forward to the days ahead and how we can influence other people, uh, help us to speak truth rather than stay quiet, help us to share our blessings uh, rather than hoard them for ourselves. Help us to trust, on, <clears throat> to trust in you uh, when we are tempted to rely on ourselves. Help us to demonstrate that we do have true peace and a confident hope in you uh, to those around us. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your plan for us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.